Good morning, Bas. Good morning, Bene. It's actually morning here, is it? It is actually morning. I mean, normally we, I mean, we used to record in in the in the late afternoons normally, but uh, but now it's morning. Yeah, it's morning. So it's Monday morning. Monday yeah. morning. Yeah, it's oh, interesting God. that to to do the recording after a weekend, so that um, I guess over the weekend usually a couple of topics accumulate up, and then it's interesting to the first thing to, we do when we see each other in the morning at the morning in, on Mondays is to um, do a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's nice. So yeah, welcome back to this uh, thing. Uh, what was it again that we're doing? I think we were talking about Swift and Apple Tech. Yeah, and, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so welcome back to Contravariance. We were on a kind of hiatus because um, I was on conferences and then Bus was on conferences and then I was on vacation and then Bus was on vacation. And I was on a long vacation. It was almost a month. And then um, early January, there was, there was so many things to do. And so... Yeah, we just had no time to record an episode together. We could have done it remotely, I guess, but um, it's so nice to do it in person. Yeah, exactly. So we, st yeah, and that's also something we did, right? Like we wanted to start this and do it in person. Um, and obviously, like there is the possibility to do something remotely at some point, but doing it in one room with the people that we're uh, doing the podcast with feels really nice. Uh, so I think that's good that we kept that for now also for me because i don't really have a good microphone yet <laughs> uh, so it helps to to use a good one like on location um but yeah and so we just took the time off um we do this podcast because we like it and we're really happy that there's listeners that like it um but i think our health or our um enthusiasm for the podcast comes first and that's why we took the time and, and we're happy to be back or yeah. at least i am me too, and me i too. know that you are so me too also I, I think we we are back with a huge collection of topics and as we now decided to do it always monday morning so we can take in the weekend um we already have a, a fantastic new topic um exo 10.2 hit fantastic that's one way to describe <laughs> it um yeah i mean it's it's really nice to see that um, the Xcode betas are, are coming up again, and especially for us as Swift developers, because um, Xcode 10.2 beta 1 is shipping with uh, Swift 5. That being said, it's not like the full Swift 5 release yet, and um, there are so, some issues in this release, but so yeah, it's, a good, it's a good start. What's missing from this Swift 5 release? Um, so I don't know what, like I don't have a full overview, but something that... Uh, is clearly missing is the result type. So the reason for that actually is that Swift 5 will have a result type, right? Like many of us are used to... Um, it's, it's the one file everybody adds to his code base after two days. Exactly, exactly. Um, and Apple is now introducing that, but they have like put a lot of thought in it. And I think that's really good because it, it seems like a really trivial and simple thing to add, but in reality it might not be or it isn't. Because what Apple is trying to do is make sure that it's source compatible so that it won't break any of your existing code, even if that uses a result type. Um, and I So what you're saying is if I, if we, well, we actually have a result type here written in, in our Swift code base. And so the new Apple one will not break, even though we have something that has the same name. Yes. Okay. I, I've understood that that's what they're aiming to do. Interesting. Um, I mean, you can always do it with namespacing, I suppose, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure what else they're doing. But I, I read that 
that is something they haven't fully finished yet, so okay. they didn't include it into the release, which I think is fair. Okay, what I what I like about the result type is, well, first of all, that there is one, um, and second of all, that they try to, at least with the standard library, to to really ingrain it. Like, you can initialize it with a um, auto-closure that is, um, is, that is throwing, so that um, you can actually initialize a result with anything that throws, with any function, which is nice, and obviously it allows you to get the error out, um, like to, to have a throwing get, so then you can actually also integrate it again with the with the try catch error handling we have. Um, what I wonder is, and I'm not sure if you uh, looked into that, how well they will integrate it with the Objective C I, um, APIs with Cocoa and Cocoa Touch and Foundation. I'm actually not sure in general, also for Swift, because I'm not aware, um, and that's that's why I thought it was a, was a bummer that it's not included yet, because I wanted to play around with it. I'm not sure if and how and if they're going to change APIs or if they're going to sugar something to res like to convert a, uh, a completion handler to a result type. So I'm not sure also okay. if they're going to change APIs. Okay, um, yeah, I don't know that. I, and if they okay. would be, I would think you can still have both options and just use like the fallback in Objective-C because obviously like a result type, uh, the way it's implemented, uh, similar to, to optional, is not available in Objective-C because the Objective-C language doesn't understand that type. Yeah, although for, for completion handlers, they, uh, they could do some sort of syntax abstraction that they somehow converts it to something um, where um, in Objective-C you would have uh, two parameters and the Swift version of that API would then have a result type. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that they do something like that. but Well, they could, like, but we, would, we don't know. Yeah. I, I guess, like I, I guess they don't, but it would be nice. And like I said, I'm not aware. I'm mm. looking, actually, if anybody that's listening and, and, and knows more about this, um, please reach out. But I'm, I'm looking forward to, to figuring that out and, and working with the API. I mean, the result type is super cool. So yeah, looking forward to doing also the migration in our code base. Like we said, we have a result type um, and like getting rid of that part of the code and making sure or like being able to convert that to to apple's results is going to be fun i like those things anything else um you are particularly looking forward to in swift 5 um i mean the abi stability is a really mm -hmm. big thing uh so abi stability is application binary interface i'm pretty sure um which means uh, that swift is locked down to a certain standard so that they libraries can be included with the OS. And that seems like an like a complicated thing, and I think most of the listeners might, might know already, but that what that allows us, uh, what that allows for is that you only have to ship it once in the OS and not with any apps. Because at the moment, because there is no um, like binary interface, the like all Swift apps, all apps on the App Store that ship anything any Swift code have to include all those libraries because they're not stable, it can change. And that means that all these Swift apps are a few megabytes bigger than any other app. And that times whatever, how many apps you have. So it's gonna be a huge change to, or a, quite a big impact uh, to the size of apps and, and especially as a user of phones, including ourselves, uh, that's gonna be a nice cleanup. Mm. 
Yeah, this will be really interesting. Although I, I read um, some comments that people said, oh, this is so good for the users and the users will rejoice. And um, I feel like this is a misunderstanding of a, a, a normal user. I um, Recently, there was a uh, somebody posted a review that he had on the App Store um, that said something along the lines of this app is no good and it's only 10 megabytes big. How can it be any good? So the assumption from the user seems to be the more he has to download for your app, the better the app is. So if your app used to be five megabytes and now the Swift libraries are gone and now it's only, let's say, half a megabyte, um, it may actually be that the users think this app is not worth anything because it's way too small. It sounds weird, but um, it may be a, a side effect of this, especially like for, for the smaller apps, because it, apparently like for most people, if it's big, it has to be better. Yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I'm, I'm not uh, surprised that some people think that way because there's basically no way of knowing what it really means, what it means to see an app that is big or small. Um, so I can imagine that some uh, users see it that way. Uh, at the same time, I do see, like, you had the whole 16 gigabytes iPhone where people were not happy that it was only 16 gigabytes. So I think it's also up to us as developers to sell it. Um, although, you know, release notes, whoever reads them. Nobody. Nobody, Nobody, but I knows. but I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to be reading the release notes, and I'm the weird person that most of the time still does. Um, I think we're gonna see some. Hey, we optimized the app and, and made it a bit smaller for for you, while I, doing the same thing. I wrote a um, a small Xcode build script once that basically creates a um, a bit of data in your compiled app that is let's say 50 megabytes big um, but when the app is submitted to apple it's actually compressed and then it doesn't make it take any, up any space because it's just 50 megabytes of the same data so it can be compressed to one kilobyte but when it's unpacked on the user's device and what you see in itunes connect is actually the size including these 50 megabytes so what you get is an app that it looks like it's 50 megabytes growth because big because there's a 50 megabyte block of nothing in there um, but the user actually has to download only a couple of kilobytes so it seems as if your app is big, even though it isn't. You can just include it in your Xcode build process <laughs> and then fake the app size. Yeah, I'm actually not even sure how, like, and that comes from me, right? Like, I think I'm not the typical uh, user as a developer, right? But I'm not even sure. We have app thinning, right? So uh, any um, images or assets that you use that are not used on that device. So, for example, on iPad, we're not using some assets that we use on iPhone. Um, Apple should be like taking care of that to make sure that those are not included. But I'm actually not sure what the number on the App Store means. I actually think um, I looked a bit into that when I when I wrote the script because I was interested. And as I, as I remember it, um, it gives you the number as it is installed on your device for your specific device. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because the next thing I was going to say is we have, um, you have all this information on, at the bottom of an app saying like, hey, this is optimized for this device or this works on this device. But at the same time, you have this uh, expansion that can actually say, hey, it's also usable on this iPad and this iPhone and, and this iPod. And I think something similar can be done with the app size that shortly explains, hey, this app is optimized for this device and will like be this and this uh, mm -hmm. big. And I think that could be something that's up to Apple as well, but um, I don't think it's a big deal uh, where Apple can shortly explain that it doesn't really mean that much. Like where you said, um, 
you know, I think a bigger app is better. Like, maybe they could explain it there, but I'm not sure. Well, it's not something that I think, obviously. It's something that was in reviews on the App Store. I'm, I'm yeah, exactly. in favor of smaller apps. Um, going back to, to Xcode 10.2, um, I heard there was something with um, Playgrounds. What happened there? Um, yes. So <laughs> I, I was working on, like, I was, I was fiddling around with a, with a project this weekend. Um, and it was like, okay, let's do like make a playground because it needs to do a lot of iteration. And I was like, okay, why not start with Xcode 10.2, right? Because then I can maybe look at the like the result type that isn't there, um, but look at some other Swift 5 features. And I began typing and I was like, okay, I have something, let's run it. And it's like, run, done. It's like, hey, there is no output. Maybe the output is broken. Maybe like the console still works. Okay, print this output. And it's like, run, done. It's like, no, still nothing. So I tweeted about it and then I remembered and, and uh, Paul Hudson like uh, pinged me and he said, well, there was this note in the release notes that says, Playgrounds may not execute without a workaround. So, yeah. So, same behavior as usual. <laughs> I mean, it's not even, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, obviously. Like, or, like, seriously, like, Playgrounds, I think, are still a huge, huge, huge improvement over what we have with the simulator, where we have to wait a long time to recompile yeah i think i think we, we really defer on the adoption i i never use them because always whenever i try they never work like i'm maybe some, there's something wrong with me or the machines i, I work on but maybe the, a simple print statement works but apart from that there's nothing so i always create a um a new app a macOS target um and then basically i write my code in there hit the compile and the run button all the time because it compiles and set in like fractions of a second it runs in fractions of a second and it always works okay so that's what i do and that works much better for me i i, I don't get the fancy output that playgrounds has but i hardly need that anyway i'm much more much happier when i can just use uh, print statements everywhere or, or an actual debugger to see what what's where and so that's uh, yeah that's how it works really well for me and playgrounds never That's interesting, though, because I think especially with Xcode 10, they've become a lot better. I tried it, and again, I ran into the same issues, and uh, yeah, I, it, it may also have lost trust for me. So when you when you work on something for some time in Playgrounds, and you think, why doesn't this work, and you think your code is at fault, and then you, you try out, and then you try the code in, in a, like in a macOS target, and it works right away, and, and it didn't work in play. And at some point, it's just, I'm wasting, I feel like I'm wasting time, I'm churning. Yeah. Um, so I, I will... With every release, I go back, I try again, and if it, maybe this time, once this whatever bug this is, is fixed, it will work. But other than, other than that, I'll go back to my just create a macOS target and, and try it in there yeah. approach. I think we talked about this before, but do you then also create a macOS target in Playground? Because that's what I do if I get the chance to. Like if I don't yeah, need yeah, yeah. UI kit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because that's a big difference. Yeah, because yeah, of otherwise, course. Of course. you still have the simulator it gets. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, of course. Up and, okay. No, of course, that's what I do. Cool. But that doesn't doesn't help actually there was this uh there was a twitter thread of like hey what are cool xcode tips and tricks right and i think paul hudson is doing a really mm -hmm. cool thing yeah really his, cool, cool thing with his daily 20 seconds video um, but this was also like a huge list of, of things and one that i saw and i'm not entirely sure of the command that i think it's command alt r which runs without rebuilding interesting which i think is something i've been missing for years mm -hmm, that's so, nice Looking forward to trying that out. 
There's, uh, there's also not everybody knows about that, and I saw it posted again. And so maybe it's worth mentioning is the um, command shift J, which jumps in the list of files um, to the one that you have currently open, which is really useful if you have a lot of files. Oh, I love that one. I yeah, use yeah. that all the time. Yeah, me too. But not everybody knows about it, so it's it's worth uh, mentioning again. Yeah, I will. I will also let's link to this uh, to both Paul Hudson's. Um, like playlist as mm. well as this Twitter thread in the show notes so people can take a look at it or suggest any others if yeah. you if you have any good ones. Yeah. Do we want to quickly go through some of the other changes that the new Xcode brings with it? Sure. Okay, so one one I, I saw that was it was mentioned on Twitter, I saw it in a um, in a tweet somewhere is and I love this. So the um, the simulator names for the new iPhones, the XR and the XS, the names actually have changed because the, the what? The names of the, the simulators. Wh- what iPhones? The XR and the... Come on. <laughs> Good, you realized. Yeah. So um, uh, the names actually changed. And now they use, like in Apple marketing, they use a capitalized S and the capitalized, capitalized R. So a smaller one that looks like a bigger one. And now the simulators have the same names. While the Xcode release notes still have the old just use a small, uh, a, a small lowercase letter one interesting i think apple is is struggling or at least like it's really like i think they're having a hard time really like <laughs> making sure that everything is the same yeah especially when it's so confusing yeah but it's 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 interesting anyway right because i think apple is saying hey these are just letters like they don't mean anything so it's already like it's a curious case i would say yeah yeah it is but the, that they actually went and changed the names in the simulators to me gives me the fe- gives me the feeling that they ca- apparently they care about these names but not enough to to do it in other places and it's it's all a weird well anyway I, I just thought it was a fun notion um another thing is that and this will probably hit some people um exclusive memory access is now enforced by the runtime um i activated this in one of my own projects last year um because i had a, a memory issue and i thought maybe this helps and it did not help but um it it found a lot of other issues that I hadn't seen really. Um, what it does is basically when you have a, um, a piece of memory, a variable, and you're accessing it, and while you're accessing it, you're accessing it again. That may happen, for example, uh, from when you call a closure from within a closure um, and other things, and then things may escalate from, from there, then that is actually, uh, you're violating, violating exclusive memory. And I was surprised how many of these instances I had in my code base, actually, when I, when I activated this. So uh, based on that, I may just, it may just have been that code base, but I feel that more people will probably be hit by that and by, by interesting cases where they accidentally um, trying to write to the same memory multiple times from within a closure, like from within a stack trace, or read and write to the same memory address uh, from within a stack trace and and stuff like that. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I like I'm in general a fan of automation, and this is this is also part of automation, right? Is like trying to prevent something, um, and I think those tools that Apple is shipping deserve some more like knowledge about them because they're really really good and. Especially because as, or at least I feel that as a programmer, like I can think about a lot of things, but I can't think about everything. Like mm. there's performance, there is a type inference, there is like a type safety, but like you can't think about everything and having those tools available um, are really helpful. Yeah, I actually, totally. I actually remember that we had some crashes in our app, right? Where um, I think we were writing or we were uploading some kind of array 
somewhere. Um, while at the same time, if the user would do something else, that array would be accessed and mutated, and then there yeah. would be a crash. Yeah, we had a crash. And it was kind of old code, and it was Objective-C, but yeah, we had something along the lines. Yeah, but I yeah. can imagine that it was more yeah, yeah. the way it was written, and the same thing could have happened yeah. in, in Swift. And Absolutely. These these tools are, are great. Yeah. Um, another thing I, I read, I didn't try it yet, um, because due to uh, spice, uh, space constraints on my laptop, uh, I haven't been able to download the, the new Xcode yet. Actually, I only could do it at home, and I didn't have too much time to play around with it. But um, you know how when you're in the debugger and you are trying to print the contents of a variable with PO, it half the time, feelingly, it never works? Well, I mean, I mostly start like printing and then getting a coffee coming back and then most of the time it does work it just it takes some time so now with the new xcode when you use v instead of po apparently it should work much better because it will just print the contents of the variable while what po does it loads the expression parser and it expects that you wrote some sort of complicated swift expression that it will first parse in order to figure out what you want to try to print but you don't you just want to print a variable and that's what we will do it will just print the variable so it should it should work much better it should be more reliable and it should be faster yeah i think it's i think it's interesting in general because um i think it's like has to do also with command line ergonomics which is something i've looked into in the past because it's really hard if we're just working with letters like what do they mean and especially in this case po means print object so why would it do more than just printing the object mm -hmm. and i don't know what the v stands for but i think it's Variable? Yeah, like I think it's... <laughs> Visual? It's difficult and, and I'm wondering... Velocity? Uh, if there is, again, like some documentation on that. Yeah. Regarding documentation, by the way, and I'm going to jump a bit back to Xcode, hmm. we now have the Xcode release notes as proper like documentation on the website without it being a PDF that yeah. you had to log into. Yeah, that was really nice. Oh. Yes. Yes, I was amazed. I, I clicked some link and I, it opened just as HTML in my browser. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I think that's the future. HTML. Yeah, but it's crazy, right? Like it's a super small thing, but it makes, makes a difference. And I think that's like, I, I would only be positive about this. I mean, yeah, it was a bit weird in, in the past, probably had its reasons or not. Um, happy to see that it was changed now. Hmm. The, the last thing, uh, well, no, actually Swift 3 was removed. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good thing, right? Like, if we really want to go on, like, with Swift, and, and I think uh, most of us are, are interested in the new features, um, you, can't, you can't test everything. It's the same thing that most apps are not supporting iOS 7 or iOS 8 anymore because it's just too much, right? No, it totally, make, it totally makes sense. It's, it's just that um, I hope nobody is on Swift three anymore but some people may be yeah, doesn't doesn't really matter because at the same time you can still use, use an old xcode of course yeah, yeah. because i think that's what happened when swift 3 came out yeah, yeah. as well where yeah, I people still, were using I still have one swift 2 project yeah exactly so go for it and upgrade yeah. i think that would actually be really interesting because you can if you're going to upgrade that swift 2 project yeah you will see again and that was part of like what i was trying to say in my talk and in, in try swift last year is like we're taking things for granted, and I think you will mm -hmm. see a lot of it. Where oh, absolutely! I, I I will never update it because I'm not working on it anymore. Yeah, okay. So, it but, it yeah. would be interesting, I think, just to get a feeling of like what wasn't there, and uh, I think it will be a lot. I updated one Swift two project to Swift three, and it was the 
most painful update I've ever done in my life in terms of so I and this project is not well written so I will just move it aside let it die maybe open source it and somebody else you can give it a try I will open source it ah let's do that because I was I was gonna say I think I'm the anomaly here because I love doing those things okay like I like updating and like seeing what changed and then like taking that as a chance to like clean up that part of the code base and something I recently did with our code base where most of our frameworks were not up, uh, updated to Swift 4.2 yet. And I felt, thought that was a fun experience, seeing what has changed, uh, seeing where we can like mm. optimize some things and yeah. Okay, so I will, let's discuss it afterwards and maybe in the next episode we can talk about your experience uh, putting a big scale project to uh, from Swift 2 to Swift 5. Oh yeah, that, that sounds fun. Okay, good. Um, the last thing, and this is just a quick note, is, and I feel this is cool, but I, I don't need it, um, is that you can actually now have Xcode in dark mode while the rest of the operating system is in light mode, which is nice. Um, although for me, it's I have dark mode everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the same for me. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, because I think also from an accessibility standpoint and, and also, I guess, from like any IDE, <laughs> because... I think Xcode was a bit late. No, I don't think so. Xcode was a bit late with any like dark mode or any theming. Um, so I think it's a nice addition. I'm wondering if there's going to be like an API to do that also for other apps. I don't know if it's as relevant for other apps. Yeah, I mean, um, there were always so far there were hacks how you could do it um, for other for any kind of app. But um, it would be nice to have a user setting. Like the, what what Ixo brings to the table now is that it is a setting where you can actually change it in preferences, and obviously it would be nice to be able to have that for other apps to yes. to have a per app setting for this maybe. But um, let's see where Apple goes. I I guess they didn't expect that they would need something like that for Xcode, um, but now they have it. So maybe they they are also iterating. They're trying like the initial idea was probably everything is dark or everything is light, as Apple works. Like it's one thing or the other. But now they see. The demands of people might be may, might be different, but then again, maybe it's also just a exception with Xcode because people developers need to be able to test it, try it in both ways, and maybe you don't want to change the look of your whole operating system just you, so you can test your Mac app in in two different brightness. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an exception. Like maybe it will be available for other apps as well, or I mean, you can always. I don't actually know if you can always do it. Um, but I think it will be an exception because otherwise you're or like again putting so much on a user. It's like, okay, do you want dark or light, or do you want the whole thing to be dark or light? And I think that's not like nobody really benefits from that yeah. because then you get like a wishwash of like black and white, which is yeah, I mean, not gonna help anyone. I think yeah. Um, anything else you can think of regarding Xcode ten point two? Um, no, not regarding Xcode 10.2, but I was actually wondering, um, and it, I'm, I'm pretty early with that, we have Swift 5 shipping in Xcode 10.2 now, but I haven't heard that much about Swift 6 yet, mm -hmm. um, or at least not any new things apart from the things we already know. So since, um, since we already get, got Swift 5 now, do you think there's a chance that Swift 6 could actually hit during WWDC, that is like um, the a first alpha, let's say, and then with the final release in what usually is autumn, uh, we would already have Swift six, so it would come much faster. No, I totally, totally don't expect that because I think with Swift five they went off the release cycle, uh, which I applaud them for because there's really no reason to 
like mm, force, to wait this long yes yeah but also to force them like swift into a release cycle i mm. think that doesn't benefit anybody um there was a strong goal for swift 5 to uh, have abi stability which was already like a tricky topic because i think initially they were thinking about this for swift 3 so it's been a while um and I think it's it's so much better to just say, okay, let's focus on something and get it done um, and do it well. Mm. Uh, I think in general, I'm, I'm a person that prefers taking a bit more time mm. and like taking the, like doing the extra mile. Um, so I think that's really great. And then like, it's almost February now. It's going to be June before we know it. I don't expect that much uh, regarding Swift 6 at DubDub. Uh, let's see when it comes out. But I do expect to see, like, relatively soon, some update on, hey, what is our focus for mm. Swift 6? Um, I think there is a memory ownership model mm. in in, uh, in the works. Uh, I think they're looking at coroutines or at least uh, async await. Mm. And I think that's super awesome. I already feel if they would do that and they do it properly, that is async await and the memory ownership model, that would already be enough for me to have a proper... and the usual small additions to the standard library um, that would already be enough for me to call it Swift 6. Yes. Uh, th these are like big features, they're important features, and I can't wait for memory ownership. I mean, totally, but I don't, like you were, were suggesting, I don't expect that anytime mm -hmm. soon. And mm -hmm. I hope they will take the time again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will that then be like next year, February or, or March or wherever? I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm really looking forward to that one. So, oh, so I think I think it's also really hard for Apple to like not start working on that mm. yet because it, I think mm. it's super exciting. Yeah, I think many people are excited about that. Might also be why we haven't heard that much about it yet because they want to mm. wait until like Swift Five is is closed. Yeah, uh, and then like kick off Swift Six. But I'm really looking forward to seeing it progress. Yeah, me too. Um, you also um worked on some sort of other podcast recently did you yeah i was uh involved with the swift community podcast which is a podcast um by and for the swift community um, and it was started by john sandell uh garrick and Napathian, and by chris none other than chris latner mm. um and the idea about this podcast is to talk about swift um with and involve anybody from the community so it's not going to be just those three people um it's going to be like anybody mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of like it's open source there's been a lot of people talking about it a lot of people coming up with ideas uh there's already ideas to go like multilingual to also have mm -hmm. episode in other languages which i think is super cool um so yeah like sky's the limit i think is what chris was saying and, and mm -hmm. this is going to be a really interesting where podcast can, where can people find this podcast um there is a Twitter account, but I don't know the name. Well, what what do you type into Google? I think it's the Swift Podcast, uh, but you can find it with the Swift Community Podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's what you enter, folks. You just go yeah. to Google yeah, and you type Swift Community Podcast, and if you can't find it because you're on DuckDuckGo, you write Swift Community Podcast Chris Letner, and then you'll find <laughs> it. I don't have that many issues with DuckDuckGo, but we can also add it to the show notes. Yes, yes, we will also do that. Even easier. Yeah. Um, so two podcasts already. Many. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. So, so maybe to elaborate on that, uh, last Saturday, so that's two days ago from now, uh, recording this on Monday, I had a talk 
for this podcast, episode two with Chris and uh, with Garrick. And we spoke about the Swift Weekly Brief um, and how that also inspired the podcast uh, by ways of like involving the community and trying to be an open source project without it being programming related. So a codeless open source uh, project. Um, and I, 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 yeah, it was a really nice conversation. So also for any listeners, I would like recommend checking it out and, and uh, seeing what you think. Yeah, I, it's obviously not released yet, um, but the first episode of that podcast, podcast was already really good. So um, I would advise, listen to it. Yes, that's a, that's a good one. It was uh, like Chris talked a lot about like the, the beginning of Swift and uh, how, like, how it got started, how, how the whole idea came up. Um, and they're also talking about why they started this podcast and how they set it up and what their ideas are. And I think it's, it's a good listen. Um, last topic. Sure. Um, I released a new project this weekend. Yay. Yay. So, um, I, um, last year I, I did some, just because I wanted to, to expand my horizon, I did some Rust. And, um, while I was learning Rust, I also had to learn more things about, um, memory management that then you would usually need for Swift. And after that, I felt like um, maybe it's time to revisit C again because after um, I have I had been through this again just with compiler support um, because Rust in Rust the compiler tells you if you do something wrong with your memory. Um, I felt like why not give C another try? And I had this issue that I always wanted to solve. That is, um, I use I mostly use Git on the command line, and when I want to um, stage. Uh, that is, um, add files to Git in the repository or add files that are untracked. What I usually do is I copy-paste the name, like I do a git status, I copy-paste the name and I say git add and then the name of the file, for example. Um, and that is kind of cumbersome. And I know there are UI tools to do all that, but I'm already in the terminal. I'm already right typing there, so I don't want to switch context and first go to some sort of source tree or whatever it is and then do it there manually because I don't, I also don't want to use the mouse. I'm, I'm, I like typing. And there are also tools for that, um, like which is a command line git wrapper, but it does a lot more. And I just wanted to, to, to that, a tool that only does this. And I also wanted to play around with this. And so I thought, why not write it in C? Because there's libjit, which is a, uh, a nice C library. And there's encursus, which is a library to allow um, to write um, command line apps. And so I started working on this. And it was a fun project. Writing in C was actually very fun uh, because everything compiles very fast. And uh, the language is so simple that like by in terms of what you can do. So all that was very nice, but the memory management was still really tricky. I ran in a lot of, into a lot of uh, memory management issues. Actually, I had two off by one errors in the same array, which meant that initially I thought, oh, maybe it's a off by one error. So I, I just reserved one additional item of memory more, but I still had the same problems. And I thought, okay, it can't be a off by one error, but it was a off by two error due to too complicated to explain, but um, it took me some time to figure this out. And um, But there are tools for that. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed working on, this, on it and I released it this uh, weekend. Yeah. And you wrote, a, <clears throat> you wrote a blog post about it as well? Yeah. Yeah. So you went into uh, like why you started it and how you build it and uh, it's open source. Yeah, of course. Um, it's on GitHub, and um, if, if people are interested, it's. I tried to add a lot of documentation to the C code, especially for the non-obvious things, and I will try to expand on that. So if you're interested in, in having a look at, it's not complicated C because it, it comes from somebody who mostly writes Swift. So obviously, it's not like it doesn't do the weird things that you normally find in C code bases. Everything is very verbose. 
or you can just download the tool and <laughs> use the tool <laughs> yeah yeah it's and I'm, i plan to continue working on that like um adding things here also um improving the quality of it and this brings me to something i only realized yesterday this thing actually allows me to the for the first time in my life to use my ipad in a productive manner because there's this app called ish.app which allows you to run a um a linux virtual machine offline on your ipad so you don't need to be connected to the internet and there's clang working in there a full working c compiler so i can actually compile this c project on my ipad and work on it and improve on it on the ipad so i can actually do something productive with the ipad that's that's really awesome i mean let's let's try like i would recommend you to try it and then also document that and then maybe we can talk about it in the future as well yeah i you know that's i asked somebody if i can uh, lend his um, ipad keyboard cover earlier today yeah so um happy to do that yeah and then i'll give it a try um next week when i'm uh, on traveling when i'm awesome. traveling yeah. awesome what is the tool called gitsy and what does it stand for what does it mean it means git status interactive but was it also a pun on c yes it was also a pun okay, on c good i would it was, like it, it was also um my girlfriend's idea it right. had, yeah it had a different name before And uh, she said, why don't you call it Gitsy? It's Git Status Interactive. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a nice name. Nice collaboration. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, one last thing. You are going away again. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to Tokyo for uh -huh. around eight days. So there's a, um, okay, there's a Kotlin conference. And oh God. I'm giving a talk about Rust. Oh, God. <laughs> so actually, I'm giving a talk about how you can share code between a iOS and an Android app by writing your model layer in Rust because I'm a firm believer that um, when you write native apps, you should write native apps in your native language. You should not write a Android app in Swift or you should not write a iOS app in Kotlin. You should write the iOS app in Swift and the Android app in Kotlin. And if you want to share code, you should do it in a language that works really well on both platforms. And since Swift hasn't reached that state yet with Emirate compatibility, and Kotlin hasn't reached that state yet, in my opinion, with um, iOS compatibility. I feel like Rust is a really, really nice match because it's very similar. But the, this this goes beyond this top podcast, but that's why I'm on an Android conference. That's awesome. So you're going to, to another conference. That's yeah. going to be a lot of fun, yeah. I, I think. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be back. But yeah, when, when we are back, I'm back from Tokyo probably. And there's probably a lot I have to talk about. Yeah, I mean, dude like bring everything that you do there with you and i think that's a another interesting thing to talk about yeah i think we could actually continue talking for another 30 minutes but we already uh, this is going to be our longest episode yet so and i feel like we have still more content so the monday morning thing seems to work well but yes or or it was just that we were away for so long but hey yeah. it doesn't matter i yeah. think it's it's awesome yeah uh, and i think we're both looking forward to starting this thing up again and yeah and seeing where it takes us yeah maybe we, uh, more changes are coming but um, let's see it was a nice uh, it was a nice talk and a nice conversation but and um, people thanks for listening and uh, here and see you soon bye All right bye bye